all the years through when I was in the full-time ministry and so forth, and as I was going through uh, college, there's one type of sermon that, of the various types, but I've always yielded away from it because it, on the surface to you it looks easy, but it's the hardest for me, at least. And so I want to try something different this morning. If you have your Bibles with me, I'm going to read a few texts of scriptures first, and then we will be discussing those later. It says, beginning in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and beginning with verse 5, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into your closet, or into thy closet, rather, in the King James language, <clears throat> and when thou hast shut the door, pray to the Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be thou... Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knowest when, what things ye have need of before you ask him. After this manner, before, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you want to follow along, I'm going to go ahead and read two other, three other verses found in Luke, the 11th chapter, verse 2, beginning with verse 2, 3 and 4. Same subject, same discussion. When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, as in earth. Give us 
day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These is the only two for instances in two different chapters where Jesus give what is commonly known today as the Lord's Prayer. But we'll talk a little more about that aspect. But I want to ask you, what is the Lord's Prayer? And just introducing the subject. What is it? Jesus used what man calls as the Lord's Prayer as a simple example or an outline, if as it were, a model or a pattern of how and what we should include in our prayers. We read again, and I'm going to paraphrase, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, in verse one, it begins with a lot of things. After this manner, therefore pray ye. We, it's easy to skip over words. Manner. In other words, this way or or this follow this example as it were and if you notice in Luke 11 it says when you pray say again it was only an example but what we call the Lord's Prayer was never never intended to be used as many so-called modern-day Christian churches uses it. Nope, it was never intended to be something that was used in worship and over and over and repeating and repeated. Because again, I'm going to allude back to that verse in Matthew 6 and 7. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions to be used so as the heathen do, but they think that they shall be heard after their much speaking. It's something that we do not repeat over and over. It wasn't intended for that. It was always intended to be used as a model or kind of an instruction, a guideline. Most, all students is familiar with guidelines. 
is more of a modern term. But it was never intended to be used as a prayer for the believers. And yet, there are those that over and over and over, repeated and repeated and re-repeated in their worship services. And so it was never intended to be a part of worship. Examining, uh, examining what is the meaning, and better yet, what does it mean to you? That's what we want to nail down this morning more so than anything. What does it really mean? So what does the Lord prayer mean? Verse by verse. And again, technically, it wasn't really a straight-out prayer that Jesus was doing. It was just an example. That, brothers and sisters, as we, the Lord's Prayer means to us, regardless of what whoever we might be and whatever we might be and whatever color we might be is the purpose of today's message to give the meaning of what is so called by man the Lord's Prayer. It's easy as we think about it and it sounds simple and the purpose is straightforward, but it was given for a very special purpose, which will, will address a text of Scripture that indicates exactly what it was given for. But straightforward, and the concise biblical answer would be it's clearly stated in Luke 11, 1. Luke 11, 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, and that's Jesus, was in prayer somewhere in some certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And as a result of that question, we get what become known as the Lord's Prayer. So better yet, even if it is a guideline, as I stated it was, or something to follow, or at least to give us some idea of what all we should include within our prayer. I want us to go over the meaning by verse by verse, and we're pretty much going to stay with Matthew, but there's going to be a sprinkling of other little text here and yonder that supports what I have to say. 
So let us examine carefully what the text says and the discern what the real meaning was and is for us. In verse 5, going back to the Matthew reference that I gave early, verse 5, After this manner, therefore pray ye, And then he begins what many has interpreted to be a real intended prayer to the Heavenly Father, which was only given as our example. <clears throat> but we, when we look at the first phrase in this, as we start, I want to examine it sometimes phrase for phrase and occurred occasionally a word at a time. But it opens up with the, when we pray, our Father which art in heaven. Actually in prayer we're addressing the heavenly Father. But the deeper meaning, it means that we recognize our covenant relationship with Him. God is a holy God. He is to be reverenced. And He essentially commands our respect throughout the Scripture. We're told in Mark... 1230, I'm just paraphrasing it for you here. It says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And it's interesting. It uses the phrase that we're to honor him and to love him and to be solely given over to being a child and serving him to the best of our ability. We notice in Mark 12 and 32 a little reference when that was recorded there, it says the scribe. Turn to the Lord, or the master, which is Jesus. And thou hast said the truth, for there is one God. And there is none other but he. So when we're praying, we are praying to the Heavenly Father, not to something on stone or wood or some other in carving, engraving, or whatever man may has falsely and fakely used throughout centuries. But we're praying to a Heavenly God. 
And again in Ephesians, the fourth chapter and sixth verse, it says that there's one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. It's almost impossible to keep from reading that particular text because they think that's okie talk when you say you all. But scripture does. <laughs> the next phrase that's used is hallowed be the name. And really that's just a simple term whenever we're praying. We're it means that we have respect for God. We are loyal to Him and Him only. This is phrase, this phrase is like our pledge of allegiance to God. We're going to respect Him. We honor Him. So in simple terms, when it uses that phrase, all it means is, hallowed be thy name. It means we respect God and are loyal to him only. The phrase is, in reality, an allegiance that we're admitting and acknowledging to our Heavenly Father whenever we go to the Lord in prayer. And I don't think it's probably necessary, but I will say it anyway. When we talk about hallow, it means to be holy and respected. In our modern-day language that we use here locally in this United States, in plain modern English, it would mean we respect you. We will always and you only respect I know that they try to make other meanings and so forth, but when he uses the phrase in the text there, thy kingdom come, or see it in verse 10, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And it uses the phrase kingdom come and work. And if you look at it, we're, we're recognizing that the kingdom is God's. He designed it. He built it. We can't claim it. It was his work. And we know that that's the thy part. The kingdom is something that is controlled. And we think of it in earthly terms as a king would control an area or government. But 
He covers it all. And the come part is recognizing we're looking forward for something to happen, his coming, the coming kingdom, the eternal kingdom. In the latter part of verse 10, it says, Thy will we've done in earth as it is in heaven. And after we analyze this phrase, I believe this is our acknowledgement to God <clears throat> that His will be, we will obey. To Him we will obey, rather. And His desire or wishes will be completed on earth just as they are in heaven. Now, we don't understand all what's going on up there, maybe, but the Scriptures is primarily written for us here. But at least we'll honor Him. I'm going to move down to the next verse. When we're praying that Given us, give us this day our daily bread, that part of the phrase. Again, after analyzing it and looking, I believe that it's our simple way of requesting to God, asking that He would supply our daily needs, our food, our necessity for daily living. Not in plenty, just provide. And that's the problem we have in our society, rich men. And you ask them, and I've read statements from news articles and so forth. How much more do you need to get? Well, just a little bit more. They never have enough. They want it all. Well, God provided for us. In Exodus, the 16th chapter, beginning with verse 4 there, we read the incidents where God told Moses that every morning that they were to go out and to gather manna, and to collect as much bread as they needed for the day and keep none for the next day. This is what I has been thought to be what Christ was alluding to. We just need enough for today and not the other text indicates that we're not to worry about tomorrow like the disciples was told to go out and to take no thought 
not even a backpack or preparations for what to eat or where they're going to stay, but to go out and serve him. This verse is telling us to rely on God, that he will provide for us. And when we're saying that in prayer, or we allude to asking God to give us our daily bread, we're acknowledging that we are dependent on him, not on self. Unfortunately, so much of the world is centered on I, and I usually use the expression I, myself, and I. We're all concerned. We should not become dependent on ourselves, but to rely on God for all things. Our health, our food, and our eats. And it should even go deeper than that, I believe, because I was having an interview with a guy. Actually, it was a doctor. But anyway, he said, wait a minute. How did you manage to go through, and this was a, a VA doctor or a VA contract doctor, you went through the military service, and here, according to the record, you didn't smoke, you didn't drink, you didn't do this, and you didn't do that. How is that possible? Well, we just took it a day at a time and relied on God. And as a matter of testimony, you think of when you go in the service, that you're going to be at their beck and call 24 hours a day for however long a term of service you're in. And I, did, I couldn't help but say, Doctor, not only that, but I happen to believe in the Sabbath. And you know, I was almost full four years in the service, Air Force as a non-combatant position. And I didn't work one day on my Sabbath. And he said, hmm. Says here you was in Vietnam. How did you do that? That's a seven-day operation. Well, God provided. I had three men in my office, and two of them wanted off on Sunday. So guess what? I was off on Saturday and I worked Sunday. And we got along fine. So we depend on God Amen. all the way through. There's another phrase that it 
uses in verse 12, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And if you read through the Christian literature, we'll find that most of the people, when you hear that expression today, automatically their mind is tuned to think of money or loans or something else of that nature. And the scripture uses a term of loan and forgiveness, but not necessarily in this prayer. But we recognize that sins are represented. Our thoughts, evil. And we've instructed in another place, think on these things. Our actions are important. And our deeds, whether they're for God or against his will, all of those has an important bearing. As we forgive. And it seems like that that's a, as we discuss it, we'll find that that's an issue that is difficult for some people. And the majority, for that matter, those who sin or commit offenses against us is more what the scripture literally means. We're forgiving not debts necessarily. It might be included debt, but that's not inclusive. It means that something somebody's committed an offense or offense against us. And we know that I don't know whether any of you's heard that, but I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it. And we heard a text in Sabbath school this morning, those of us there. God must have a different mind because he forgets it. But anyway, we're to forgive. And we must as we think about it and as we go through this example, we think that we must remember that first God, that we must forgive others of their sins or mistakes. Then we can ask God to forgive us. Think about it. And yet, I hate to even suggest this, but there are those in the world that claim to be Christian would say, that is not applicable today. Because if it were, then salvation is of works. Now, what kind of a twist? I don't know. 
they've got. But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that out and mention. But it's mandatory. And that's the reason why when we were reading the text for in Matthew 6 and 14, again, we're going to repeat it. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. You know, I think perhaps one of the largest and most outstanding words in Scripture is that little bitty word, if. It is so conditional that if we'll do this, then God will bless us. If this, if you do this, then these diseases won't come upon you. And so on, so all through the scripture. Closing, getting closing to the time that the next part of that verse in 13, it says, and lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's the final of sentence. First. But we want to consider, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As I analyzed it and as I study it and listen to the comments and so on and think back over the years and seven uh, Bible college, Midwest Bible College and so on, that it means simply that God help because we are often tricked by the devil into making the wrong decisions in life. So he's asking us to help us to overcome, to bypass that temptation. And not only help us to avoid it, but to deliver us from the evil. We can read incidents after incidents and read through the scriptures and people has been misled and the attributing factor is usually Satan or the devil or whatever we want to call his name. And he'll trick us and he'll lead us and he'll guide us. Anything to get us out of a good Christian relationship with God. Hence, in our prayers, we are asking God to help us to avoid more bad decisions in our life and deliver us from the evil. And then it throws in for the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And if what 
if we incorporate that somewhere in a prayer, not quote it, but per se, but as we incorporate it. As we break it down, we notice that thine is relating back to God. And the kingdom is also God's kingdom. The power means the ability to act on behalf by, by God. And glory simply means that we are giving respect, we give honor, and we're praising God and Him alone. Not someone else, not somewhere else, and so on. Again, if we use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern or an example for our prayers, then the verse of Matthew 6 and 12, we are telling God that we will not forget that everything belongs to Him he is in control, both of heaven and earth. And he has the power and the mercy on us to punish us as he deserves. And all the praise and recognition is due him. So my conclusion is rather short. But Jesus used what man calls the Lord's Prayer as a simple example, an outline, a model, a pattern of how or what should be included along with our prayers. It was not ever intended to be incorporated in worship as our individual prayer to God. We are to be always mindful of the fact that Luke 11, 1 tells us, and it came to pass that when he was praying in a certain place, and when he had ceased, one of the disciples, we don't know who, simply asking Lord to teach us to pray. And in the final outline again, I can't state it enough, it is only a pattern, an outline, a model as to what we should include and how we should feel with, concerning our relationship with the Lord. I found a quote, and I don't know whether 100% agree or disagree. It could be word, worded. I changed a word or two in it, but I want to leave, it, leave you with this thought. Actually, when we incorporate the models of what is given in the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, 
were basically saying, Lord, we are loyal to you. You are in charge. And we will do what you say. I will thank you for what you give us each day. I will forgive others for their mistakes as instructed. Please forgive my mistakes. Help me avoid making bad decisions. Set me free from my sins. You have all the power and deserve all the praise. Amen. In a final analysis, again, remember, it's only a pattern. Thank you.